Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The drumbeat of war has been ringing loudly in the last few days. We have reason to believe the Russian forces are planning to uh, and intend to attack Ukraine in the coming week, in the coming days. If Ukraine is invaded, the shock will echo around the world. Last night, it reached fever pitch as President Putin addressed Russia and the world. I would like to reiterate that Ukraine to us, it's not just a neighboring country. It's a part and parcel of our own history, culture, our soul, atmosphere and space. After an extraordinary speech in which the Russian leader seemed to question the very existence of Ukraine, he formally announced that Russia would recognize the independence of two regions in the country. And then he promptly ordered troops in. This is plainly in breach of international law. I think it's a very ill omen and a very dark sign. Things are moving in the wrong direction in Ukraine. NATO and the EU condemned President Putin's stance, whilst America and today the UK are rolling out sanctions. But with Russian troops now being ordered into Ukraine, it seems war has arrived in Europe. It's a new act of aggression against Ukraine and against of international law and uh, the whole world. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, Putin sends tanks into Ukraine. It's been an extraordinary 24 hours for the people of Ukraine. Yesterday afternoon, it was eerily calm as I phoned Kiev. Hi, Pembeen. Hello, hi. Hi. That's Catherine Philp, diplomatic correspondent for The Times, who's been reporting on the crisis from the Ukrainian capital. Yesterday afternoon, just briefly, war wasn't her most urgent problem. Just stupid, stupid accident. I got my laptop cracked the screen and it's off being mended today. Must be a nightmare for you because you must be like filing by the hour at the moment. Basically, yes. Yeah. So I've got one of those little keyboards that go with your iPad and I'm sort of tapping away. Stuff happens. At least we haven't been invaded yet. I mean, there is that. Yeah. It's important to look on the bright side. <laughs> Catherine, 
Waking up on Sunday in Kiev, was there a sense that this might be the day when there's an invasion? One of the strangest things about being in Kiev right now is the sense of calm in the city. There have been reports of an imminent invasion coming in daily for at least the past week. And those peaked, I think it was last Wednesday, there had been the first reports that there would be an invasion that day. The president, Zelensky, ordered this day of unity where people were to fly the flag and it would fly all around the city. But he was sort of almost being sarcastic about the chances of an invasion. There's an enormous sense of scepticism here. This is partly because the government don't want to panic people. And they yeah. see that as playing into what Russia is trying to achieve here. But also because they have been living in a state, a low-level state of war with Russia for the past eight years since Russia invaded and annexed Crimea. So the best way of describing the feeling here is it's surreally calm. And for you, do you sort of have like a backup plan? <laughs> what happens if, if there is suddenly an aerial bombardment or something over Kiev? What would you be doing? Yeah, we have several backup plans depending on what might transpire. I mean, obviously, um, when things go south, that's kind of when yeah. journalists show up. We tend not to leave when things get bad. Running into the crisis. <laughs> kind of. But I mean, we've got a map of the bomb shelters in Kiev, which the government have put out. We're in um, a hotel that has an underground car park. So that is our bomb shelter, should that happen. We have a separate safe house that's ready for us if we have to leave here. And in extremis, we would relocate outside of Kiev. And we have sort of plans unfolding about that. And is there a sense in the city, are there people who've decided to go away for the weekend just in case or are going leave, leaving town for a bit? Yeah, there are. And I've spoken to people about why they might do that. I think a greater fear than a physical bombardment of Kiev is actually that the Russians would launch a massive cyber attack. Because these days you don't have to bomb a power station to take out power from a city. You can yeah. cyber attack it. So there's a fear that they would go for those kind of infrastructure targets, power stations, water supply, those kind of things. And a lot of people who have family who live outside in the rural areas or they have houses out there. You know, some of the wealthier people might have country houses out there or cottages. And those places tend to have their own independent, you know, they have a well or something like that, or they have solar panels. So they're more self-sufficient. So I've, I've heard several people talk about doing that in order to stay off the grid in the event that it's targeted. And Catherine, we were hearing a couple of weeks ago, we were hearing warnings from the Ukrainian military that February the 20th, Sunday, was going to be the day. That's when exercises were finishing in Belarus, the Olympics would be over so the Chinese wouldn't be offended. If they were going to invade, that would be when it happened. So tell us the story of the day and how it unfolded. Well, to be fair, the message from the Ukrainian military has been all along that they don't believe a, a sort of full-scale invasion is imminent. And they've been pushing mm. back very strongly against the American suggestion that that's going to happen in a very physical sense with tanks and fighter jets and missiles. But the reason that everyone was looking at the calendar and looking at the clock was that was the day that Russian troops were supposed to have finished their 
military exercises in Belarus. Interestingly, it was announced out of Belarus, not out of Moscow. The announcement said that they had to stay because of the escalation of violence in eastern Ukraine, where the Russian-backed separatists are. So the front line between Ukrainian troops and the Russian-backed separatists, there's been an escalation of shelling and critically reports of shelling, which may or may not be true, because some of these events aren't necessarily happening, but information about them is being propagated. Now, you could argue, of course, that that's got absolutely nothing to do with the northern border of Ukraine. Yeah, so Belarus is to the north, and this was sort of a pre-planned military exercise. It was. It did come together at very short notice, but it was pre-planned and it was meant to finish on the 20th. So yes, on Sunday. So the idea that you have to continue those exercises because of something that's happening in southeastern Ukraine is a bit curious. Even with this slight ratcheting up of tensions with the, the troops staying in Belarus, It seems like the day culminated in an extraordinary set of phone calls. It sort of starts with a phone call between Macron and President Putin. Yes. Well, you know, as this date arrived and the troops didn't leave Belarus and warnings of an invasion climbed, Macron got on a phone call to Vladimir Putin and kept him on the line for well over 100 minutes, I think, so more than an hour and a half. Wow. Begging him not to abandon the diplomatic path. And during that phone call, he appears to have convinced Vladimir Putin to consider having a a face-to-face summit with Joe Biden. It's interesting that you use the word begging, because, you know, people will remember the summit that Macron did have with Putin, where they were sort of sat on opposite ends of this enormous table. And there is sort of a slight fear, I suppose, about the power relationship, about the power dynamic between the two. Absolutely. I mean, there's almost that fear with anyone that meets Putin, because if you look at these meetings he has with people that you see on camera, he, he's got he's got quite a breeding presence. And he's got a manner that he puts on with people he meets where he's quite often can be quite dismissive and put them down. And he did this with Macron when he went to Moscow. Merci beaucoup. He gave this press conference alongside Macron and he was really playing the alpha male next to him and even said, I think he said he traumatised me talking at me for five hours, which is where I kind of see the begging coming in. I mean, clearly Macron thought this might be my only chance to avert uh, war in Europe. And so this is how Putin treated him in front of the cameras, this this little man traumatising me. So yeah, he likes to put other people in their place and to have this upper hand in these discussions, which is really what he's been doing throughout this crisis. Everybody is Mm. dancing to his tune. He is the one setting the agenda who has set it from the start by sending these troops to menace Ukraine. And everyone is having to respond to what he does and what he says and what he threatens. And justification for a Russian invasion. Diplomatic efforts continue. French President Emmanuel Macron spoke with Putin for nearly two hours on Sunday. I like to think that phone call on Sunday, the 100-minute the phone call between 
Macron and, and Putin was really traumatic. Well, I mean... It's <laughs> such a great word. Yeah, traumatising. You see, so what's interesting is after that, Macron came out and announced that he had brokered this summit. It was confirmed by Washington that they had agreed in principle that President Biden would meet with Putin. And then the Kremlin, just again, as a kind of power play, they didn't say, no, we're not going to do this. They said, well, nothing's set in stone yet. Let's see. It could be at any time. And again, it just seems to be that, you know, effort the Kremlin always makes to pull back the initiative whenever they think someone else is setting the agenda, like Macron. Just tugging back on that string and saying, we'll be the ones who decide if this happens or not. Just be reminded that Biden and Putin met last summer in Geneva for their first ever summit as leaders of their respective countries. But Putin has hardly left Russia during the pandemic. He clearly doesn't like to be rushed into these decisions or to do so at short notice. So that may be playing on his mind as well. I mean, the only other significant overseas trip he's taken was to see President Xi at the beginning of the Beijing Olympics. And that was to send a very strong message that they had a very big, big brother in the form of China on their side. What started as a frosty statement from the Kremlin yesterday morning had evolved into a full-scale crisis by last night, with all hopes of a diplomatic solution rapidly fading. The cause? Two areas in the Donbass region of southeast Ukraine, not far from the Russian border. There had been trouble brewing in the region for days, as Catherine explained. Well, from the Ukrainian point of view, I would say that they talk about the fact that there has been a war grinding along for some eight years in the Donbass region. That's been a physical war. There's literally trenches along that front line where troops from both sides are facing off against each other. But there's also another undercurrent running alongside that, which is this very misunderstood concept of hybrid war. It's essentially the effort of one state to destabilise another one through covert means, cyber attacks, influence campaigns, lots of different levers that are pulled, but with the threat of military action behind it. Now, part Mm. of hybrid warfare is something the US has been warning about for the last few weeks, which is that Russia might undertake false flag operations in order to provide a pretext for an invasion. Now, that means like, you know, they could stage an attack and try and blame it on the Ukrainians. And just to sort of clarify for listeners how we think a false flag operation works, I mean, that would be effectively Russian shelling on people, they say, effectively Russian people in order to make it look like Ukraine was targeting them. That's right. And I think that we would probably be looking at multiple instances, not just one incident. Just remind us a bit about the history of the Donbass and and why that would be a useful tactic for them. Well, what happened in 2014 was when the Russians invaded Ukraine and annexed Crimea. They also fomented, essentially, for want of a better term, fomented a separatist conflict where one really didn't exist. In a corner of Ukraine called the Donbass, which is in the extreme southeast, bordering Russia, 
Now, that's an area where you have a lot of Russian speakers, Russian-speaking Ukrainians, people with ethnic Russian roots and a dominant Russian culture there. So the, the ties to Russia run deep there. Russia pumped in a lot of money, bought off a lot of groups, essentially to start fighting a separatist war on their behalf. And that's, I think we've talked about this before, this is when the phenomenon of little green men first popped up, which was essentially Russian soldiers coming yes. into those areas without uniforms, unmarked, helping to create a conflict there. And in fact, you know, Ukrainian government and military people will tell you that some of the most senior leaders of the separatist movement aren't Ukrainians at all and never were, and a great number of them are Russians. That ended up with two effective statelets in that part of Donbass that's now basically separate from the rest of Ukraine. So it's never been completely declared independent, but no, it still no, has, that they have, it still has these separatist elements. Exactly. They've sort of de- declared, they, they've got their self-declared government. And Russia has gone around handing out Russian passports to a large number of the people in that area. So whilst the Russians keep saying, no, we've got no plans for an invasion, they then darkly hint at, well, if the lives of Russian people in southeastern Ukraine were put in danger, then it will be our duty to protect them. So they're essentially creating a get around for this invasion that they claim is not going to happen by saying, no, 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 we're not planning to, but... If certain things were to happen, then we would have to. And what we've seen with what the US and Ukraine have called false flag operations, which have been gearing up since the end of last week, are exactly those kind of events. So Russian claims that people in those separatist areas are being targeted by Ukrainian forces. On Friday, I think, was almost the most dramatic development in that yet was that the separatist authorities ordered civilians to leave and go to Russia because they claimed the Ukrainian army offensive was about to happen on those areas. Now, people in Kiev, the government, immediately denied it and said, this is absolute nonsense. This is complete, deliberate misinformation. But meanwhile, the Russians in the area bordering those separatist regions have been saying, welcome, come all you refugees, you know, essentially creating a non-existent refugee crisis. So in the last few days, it does sound like things have been getting more serious. It's more than just a war of words, which it has been for a few weeks now. Absolutely. And those tensions have completely focused on that separatist area of eastern Ukraine and around it. But it's as much been things like this announcement of an evacuation that has sent the tensions soaring as much as it's been live fire between the two sides. And it was those separatist areas that last night became the reason that Russian troops will march into Ukraine. We'll have more on that and what it means in a moment after a quick word from a colleague. I'm James Marriott, a columnist, book reviewer and podcast reviewer for The Times. It's my job to explain and contextualise our turbulent social and cultural landscape in a way that's as interesting, informative and as original as possible. I can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. It's that time of the year. 
Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, Catherine, we spoke to you a few hours ago and there was still sort of an eerie sense of calm in Kiev. It seemed like war was still a distant prospect. Tell us about this evening. What's changed? Well, everything changed very quickly, not so much in Kiev, but in in the whole sort of larger diplomatic surround to this story. There was earlier today an absolutely extraordinary meeting of the National Security Council in in Moscow um, in, in two senses of the word. Firstly, it was an emergency meeting by Vladimir Putin to discuss with his senior officials whether they should recognize the two areas of Ukraine that are controlled by separatists who are essentially proxies of the Kremlin. And it was a long and very bizarre meeting in which he sort of, it was very performative and it was televised and he called upon each, each official to put forward their view of what should be done. And I mean, some officials actually seemed not wholly prepared for it because, um, uh, Putin's spy chief himself actually said, I, I think that these should become Russian republics, was quickly corrected by Putin, who said, that's not what we're here to discuss. We're discussing the recognition of the independence of these republics. So it became very clear during that meeting which way the decision-making process was going. However, it wasn't until later this evening that Putin took to the airwaves in Russia and delivered an extraordinary address to the Russian people, which ended up with him announcing that Russia would recognize these two areas as independent republics, despite them being part of the sovereign territory of Ukraine. And what does that mean for for Ukraine and for potential war? Mm. What now? Well, indeed. I mean, I think that people were scrambling to understand really what was going on here, because by recognising those two areas as, as republics, 
Putin was effectively ending a, a peace process that he himself has been asking Kiev to observe because he saw it as advantageous to Moscow and, and uh, the Ukrainian government were not very keen on this at all because they felt that if they, if they followed that process, they would have to talk to these separatists and kind of recognize them as a legitimate government and absorb them into the decision making process of Ukraine as a country, which would give them veto power over things like if Ukraine uh, wanted to join NATO. So mm-hmm. uh, in, in a sense, we we didn't quite see that coming because of the lip service that um, Putin has been paying to this process, the Minsk uh, process o- over the last week or so. These are the peace talks, supposedly. Yes, these, well, I mean, peace talks, they haven't taken place for a long time, but it was an agreement that was brokered and signed by uh, Ukraine and Russia, brokered by France and Germany. So the first thing that happened this afternoon was Putin uh, got on the phone to the leaders of France and Germany and told them that he was going to take this action. And the Kremlin released a very terse statement saying that they had voiced their disappointment in in what he'd done. And then he went on to give this televised address to the nation. And and just, just to remind people, you know, just a few hours ago this morning, we were talking about the triumph Emmanuel Macron seemed to have sort of had in in trying to broker some kind of diplomatic solution to, to this crisis. And now it sounds like everybody's noses will be out of joint. They've all, they've Absolutely. all been disappointed. And I mean, uh, I mean, this is, <laughs> you have to feel for President Macron, who put in an extraordinary day of intensive diplomacy on Sunday, rushing between phone calls between President Biden, President Putin, Chancellor Schultz, Boris Johnson speaking to all these people and then getting back on the phone to each of them, coming up with a prospect of a of a summit between Biden and Putin. But I think what we were talking about earlier was the fact that uh, the Kremlin had come out on Monday morning and said, well, there's no concrete plans for a summit. So I think that was the first whiff that we got that perhaps things were not quite progressing as smoothly as Macron might have hoped. But the development that we've learned of since Putin gave this extraordinary speech uh, on television in which he's kind of aired all these grievances about how Ukraine was really part of ancient Russian lands and it had no history of its own, that it was created by Lenin. (laughs) He blamed Lenin for creating this artificial state and said that it was time for all of this to end. and, And if they didn't move now, Ukraine would fall into NATO's lap. It then transpired that within the decrees he had signed, uh, recognising the independence of the republics, self-styled republics of Donetsk and Luhansk, it also ordered in Russian troops to start what he called peacekeeping operations in those areas. So that has now been signed and effectively... It's effectively an invasion of, of at least a portion of Ukraine that, that has been ordered under the guise of a, of a peacekeeping operation. And Catherine, what happens now? You know, how do we think the West will respond to this? And is it, is it, is this war? Well, there, there was something of a scramble after Putin finished his speech because people were really trying to figure out in Western capitals where this left all their threats of sanctions that they'd been discussing and and trying to um, reach agreement on over the course of today. Uh, There were all the EU foreign ministers were meeting in Brussels today to discuss that. And when he 
issued this decree recognizing the republics, that kind of left everyone in a difficult position because it, it didn't look like an invasion or it wasn't technically an invasion. So there was uncertainty about what level of sanctions that would trigger. But now with news that Russian troops will go on on this so-called peacekeeping operation, uh, there's really no dispute that that is a de facto invasion of at least a portion of Ukraine, but unquestionably is enough to trigger sanctions. And in terms of a military response, you know, we know the Ukrainians presumably won't take this lying down if Russian troops now start marching in. You know, we were warned over the weekend by Boris Johnson that we were facing the biggest war in Europe since 1945. Is that effectively starting? This is this is unclear because what you have to remember about the areas that we're talking about is that they've been under separatist control now for, for several years. And there is a front line between the separatist forces and the Ukrainian forces. What we don't know is whether Russian troops are simply going to go up to that front line and stop, whether they are somehow <laughs> genuinely going to keep the peace or whether they are going to engage in offensive operations against the Ukrainian armed forces that we, they'll be standing off against over that front line. It's it's extremely uncertain, you know, after midnight tonight in, in Kiev, exactly what this is going to mean on the ground. Of course, we already know that there's no question of NATO getting involved on Ukrainian soil, yeah. that they've, they've made that quite clear that they will not not respond to Ukraine militarily. And, and, and Catherine, even in terms of the, the territory that they're now claiming as independent, you know, we know it has been under separatist control for a while, but even that will be controversial, the boundaries of that. So what's not clear from President Putin's announcement is whether he's just talking about the separatist controlled areas of each of those provinces or whether he's talking about the entirety of them. If Russia is intending to recognise the entire territory, that 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 would mean more. It would bring them right into territory that's currently controlled by the Ukrainian army. That does sound like war. We will have to see what tomorrow brings. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, The Times diplomatic correspondent, Catherine Philp. You can find all of Catherine's work from Kiev at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription or in print. The producers today were James Shield and Taryn Siegel, and the executive producer is Kate Ford. If you'd like to get in touch with us with any ideas for future episodes or any thoughts on what you've just heard, then do drop us a line to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. If you enjoyed this episode, please do leave us a review. We do read all of them. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.